The following sermon was preached in the Sunday gathering of First Baptist Church of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. We pray it bears fruit in your life, and we hope that you share it with others who might also benefit. At the same time, if you're not already, we encourage you to join a faithful local church where you can sit under the preaching of God's word and observe the ordinances. Visit firstbaptistwr.com for more information. Father in heaven, you are always with us and there is nowhere that we can go from your presence. But I pray that you would be present this morning in power to bless us. Bless us in the hearing of your word. Be present in your grace and in your mercy and in truth this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one week ago, the subject of our sermon was God Almighty. We considered various texts that stated very explicitly that nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is able to bring fertility from barrenness, victory from defeat, light from darkness, and life from death. He made the heavens and the earth by his power. He stretched out the skies with his hands, all by his might. The strength of horses, the strength of Samson, the strength of waterfalls as they roar and fall are but an echo of that great power of Almighty God who made all those things. Now it's a great thing to have a God of all power who can do anything and no one can stop him. It's great to have a God who needs no help. But what if that God of all power could only provide help in the place where he was? What if God was restricted with regard to his location or space? What if he was like a king who could only defend his people when his armies were there to help, when he knew they were in distress, when he knew they needed defense, and he needed to get there in time in order to help them? Would such a God be God? Could a God limited by space or location be a God for us without fail? Could he keep his promises without failing ever? Could we rely on him to be a promise keeper for us? Is God like Batman and he needs us to send out a bat signal to get him to come to our help when we need him? And we need to sit there and hope he gets there in time. Scripture not only teaches that God is powerful, but it also teaches that God is omnipresent. That means that God is present at all places and all times simultaneously. To put it simply, it means that God is everywhere, all the time, always. There is nowhere that he is not. He is everywhere, always, in his full divine essence. So let's begin by looking to our sermon text for today. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Where can you go from God's presence? Where can you flee from his presence? If you ascend into heaven, he is there. If you descend into hell, he is there. If you take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there his hand shall lead you and his right hand shall hold you. So we can establish this doctrine just from this one very poetic text here from Scripture. There's nowhere you can go from God's Spirit. God, in his essence, in his full divinity, is present to all things. There's no square inch across this entire creation where he is not. You can't flee from his presence. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not today. It's foolish to think that you can. Your life, your breath, your everything depend on his presence to uphold you. Anywhere God is not is a place where nothing can be. Life is not possible without God. Ascend to the highest height. He's already there. Descend to the lowest depth. He's already there before you get there. And it's not just that some part of God is there. All of God is there. All of God. God doesn't have parts He's simply divinity. He coexists with all things. He is a sphere, the center of which is next to everything, and the surface of which is nowhere. He's present to your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, the most secret thoughts in your innermost heart. When you pray in secret as Jesus directed and no one else hears, God hears. He sees. He's present in the heavens and on the earth. He's present in the depths of the sea. If you could fly out with your spirit to the horizon in the morning, you could find the sun where it just crests above the open ocean in the middle of the Atlantic. God is there. And if you're his, no matter where you are or where you go, his hand will lead you. His right hand shall guide you. He'll keep you as the apple of his eye. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's always there before you, behind you, beside you. He's everywhere. Now this doctrine is a great comfort to all those who belong to God. But we also have to consider the other side of things. What if you don't belong to God? What if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus? Think about it this way. If you had broken the law, if you were a fugitive on the run, would it be a comfort to you that the long arm of the law was everywhere around you at all times? Before you, behind you, beside you. Security cameras are everywhere these days. Law enforcement use them. Federal agents watch so much activity on the internet And now today, even more so, using artificial intelligence to track everything you do without even needing a person to look at it. And think of the capabilities of these drones and robotics to 
be sent out to track you, to apprehend you, to be always out there searching. When I was working in the city, I was doing maintenance on gas meters. Sometimes I had appointments, uh, but sometimes we had to do door knocking and cold calling, and you'd show up unannounced. And these meters were in people's basements, often the deepest, darkest corner of their basements where nobody ever dares to travel. <laughs> now, one time I went into work on a meter, and uh, the guy showed me to the meter, and usually the customers would say, it's over there, go over there, start working on it, and they would just walk away. But this time I was standing there working on it for a few minutes, and I started to relax like you do when you're just working alone. You start thinking, thinking about different things and just casually working. And then I got this feeling that somebody was there, and I turned around, and the customer was still standing there. <laughs> and he said, yep, I'm still here. He was a little bit suspicious of me. But that got me thinking. Uh, it's kind of creepy, but I thought that's how it is with God. Even when you're not thinking of God, you think you're all alone, he's still there. He's watching. He sees everything that you do all the time. But our minds can only focus on one thing at a time. It's so easy for us to forget the presence of God. Sometimes we forget God unintentionally. We get busy. We get sucked into something. He just departs from our thoughts. You start thinking things you shouldn't think. You start getting anxious, angry, frustrated, as if God isn't there, as if he doesn't know what you're going through, as if he's not already given you everything you need for life and health and godliness in Christ. But sometimes people forget God intentionally. As Paul says, they do not see fit to retain God in their knowledge. They know God is there, but they feel that temptation, whether from their own heart and the sin that's in them, from Satan or demons or from the world. They're tempted. They're drawn to sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That desire for sin, when sin looks appetizing, can overcome a person. And our conscience tells us that that thing that's it's so tempting, it looks so good in the moment, but it's wrong, and we know it's wrong. It's sinful. It's evil. And we know that God is not only there, but he sees and he's just. And he has the power and the will to punish us for it. That dread that we feel, we have to push it out of our thoughts, suppress it, tell ourselves, no, God isn't there. He's not good. He doesn't see everything. He's not going to bring every deed into judgment. You have to block that out of your mind. You have to escape from the sight of God. You want to run away, like Jonah did in the book of Jonah. Flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord, when he dwells everywhere. So we see that when people want to do evil, they try to hide it. Most crimes, most vices happen at night, when it's harder to see what someone's doing, when they think nobody's watching, 
People do drugs during the day. They'll say, yeah, we blocked out all the light in the windows. We put blankets over all the windows so nobody could see in. And it was dark in there. John 3.19 says, The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But does this running and hiding in darkness help? Jeremiah 23.24 says, Can anyone hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Says the Lord, Do I not fill heaven and earth? says the Lord. Now, I don't know many teenagers who get drunk and party right in front of their parents. I don't know many teenagers who would smoke weed, snort substances in front of their parents. But when they think their parents aren't watching, that's when they do it. But when is God our Father not watching us? How many sins are prevented by diligent parents? And why is it that when tempted to sin, the temptation is so strong, but immediately when someone else comes in the room, it just dissipates. It's gone. Sin thrives in secrecy. It thrives in darkness. But nothing is dark to God. Even the darkness is light to Him, the psalmist says. God is always watching. No matter who you are, in order to sin, you must first tell yourself, God's not there. He's not watching. He's not who he says he is. He won't hold me accountable. In the ESV in Psalm 10.4, it says that the wicked in his thoughts, all of his thoughts are, there is no God. No one can hide himself in a secret place where the Lord cannot see. He fills heaven and earth. His eyes are in every place. The prophets speak of creatures who have eyes all around and inside. Augustine said that God is all eye because he sees everything. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. When you think terrible things, thoughts of your neighbor. God is there. God knows. When you conspire and think on some evil plan or scheme, God is there. When you steal or embezzle, you think you've gotten away with with it. Nobody has seen. God sees. If you hate your brother in your heart and you think nobody knows, God knows. When you're alone working and you drop something on your foot or you slip and cut yourself with a knife, you hammer your thumb accidentally, and you curse God with your tongue, you take God's name in vain, you think nobody else hears. God hears. If you commit adultery, God sees. You're not hidden from him. If you think lustful thoughts, God sees your thoughts. When you covet your neighbor's land or property or business or his bank account, when you envy his skills or his station in life, God knows those wicked thoughts. He sees and he will bring it to account. If you think you can murder, shoot up a school, beat a child or a spouse and get away with it, you think you can traffic children, You think you've gotten away with it because the law didn't get you? 
Your victims didn't squeal. You threatened them to keep them quiet. You think they'll never tell? Nobody needs to tell God. He was there. He saw it. And nothing escapes his sight. Nothing will be swept under the rug. Every deed will be brought into judgment. Revelation 20.12 says he keeps a record. It says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. So before you sin, you have to reconcile that sin with the fact that you're sinning against a divine, infinite, all-powerful, all-holy, all-knowing God who fills heaven and earth. Maybe you've seen Rambo movies where it seems like Rambo is everywhere. He sets traps. He schemes. He uses deception. He uses hidden tunnels and explosive, all these weapons he has at his disposal. And he runs from place to place, and he's always ahead of them. But God doesn't have to run from place to place. He's already there. He doesn't have to run. In his knowledge, in his will, in his power, there are no secret places. There are no secrets with God. If you think you can gossip and go around spreading stories about someone, or use people for entertainment... Backbiting, slander, you think God doesn't know? God knows. God knows what you see on the internet. He knows the movies you watch. He knows about your alcohol habits. It's not a secret. 1 Kings 8.27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens, heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Isaiah 66.1 says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? Acts 17.27 says, God is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Or look to the fathers of the church. Augustine says, The same God is everywhere in his entirety, hemmed in by no places, bound by no bonds, divided into no parts, mutable in no part, filling heaven and earth, and where his power is present, his nature is not absent. Hilary of Poitiers, he's nicknamed, he has a good nickname, the hammer of the Arians, he was called. He wrote, In God there is no absence, nor any nowhere. He is in the heavens, he is in hell, he is beyond the seas, he is within as the God inside, and he is without as the God outside. Now you might be sitting there thinking, Hold on, I thought God was in heaven. Doesn't the Bible say he's in heaven? Yes, amen. God is in heaven, but that doesn't mean he's not also on the earth. Jeremiah says he fills heaven and earth. God is not in heaven alone, but he's in heaven in a special way, in his majesty and in his glory. You might say, okay, what about Jesus? Jesus is God, right? 
But Jesus was a man. He was in one place at one time. He was finite. He had bones. He had skin. He walked around from place to place. How can you say he was everywhere? Jesus was a man. He was in one place at one time. He walked about. He wasn't everywhere all the time. He wasn't everywhere all the time according to his human nature. But according to his divine nature, he was everywhere all the time. This is why he could say to Nathaniel in John 1.48, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is how Jesus knew the thoughts of people's hearts. He's fully man, fully God, at the same time, without any mixture or confusion. So he's everywhere, all the time, and yet in one place at one time, all at the same time. He dwells bodily. He's in this creation right now. And yet, he could say to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this doctrine is an incredible comfort to the believer and an incredible discomfort to the unbeliever, as I've already touched on. I'm being careful there with my words. I'm not saying this is an incredible comfort to the righteous and a discomfort to the unrighteous. Because even though we might say that this man or that man is good, relatively, relatively speaking, we can't say that any man always does right and never sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says so. We cannot say that anyone is absolutely righteous on his own merits. Jesus said nobody is good except God alone. And that is a problem for all of us. It's a problem for you here this morning. Psalm 5 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God is everywhere. God sees everything. And yet he says that the evil person shall not dwell with him. He won't live under the same roof as evil. The boastful, the proud, they shall not stand in his sight. He will destroy those who speak lies, those who murder, those who deceive. And Jesus says, sin starts in the heart. Whoever hates his brother has already committed murder in his heart. Guilty already. Jesus in Matthew 15, 19 says that sin begins in the heart. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now would any of you here maintain that you haven't done any of those things? That you have none of those things even in your heart? 
Maybe you've messed up a few times, but you're better than most. You're not the guy on the news. But God sees everything. I'll put it this way. How many of you would like me to make a recording of everything that you've ever thought, every thought you've ever had, any time in your life, everything you've ever done, said? Make a recording of it. Put it up on this screen this morning and invite the whole town to come in. I don't think any of us would want that. That would be a horror to end all horrors. We probably don't even want a recording of what you thought since you got here this morning. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. Scripture says, in Adam all sinned. We've all sinned. We're all offspring of Adam. And here's the thing, God is everywhere. He sees everything. He has that recording. God sees that up on the screen. It's all available to him. There's no bluffing God. There's going to be no faking it. He sees your heart. He knows. Now what's going to happen if we come to God on the last day? He says, why should I allow you into heaven, into my presence? And you give him the best you got. You might see some good deeds if we make a recording of your whole life, but what about, what about all the evil mixed in? Is the good going to outweigh the bad? If you take an exam and you get half of the answers right, you get the other half wrong, are you still going to pass the test? No. That's a failing grade still. And it's far worse than that yet. We haven't got 50%. We've got a zero. Genesis 6, 5 says, Every intent of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. That's who we are in Adam. Every one of us. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa, you took a vow of poverty, you lived on the streets, you gave away everything you have, served the poor and you're downtrodden, you never had a home to live in. It doesn't matter if you're a nun or a monk. It doesn't matter how sorry you are for your sins that you've done. It doesn't matter if you tried to make up for it by giving away everything that you have. If you took care of orphans and widows, it doesn't matter if you even stop and pick up turtles off of the road when no one else is around and make sure they don't get run over. It doesn't matter. It's too late. You haven't kept the law. Nobody can. All of those good deeds, they're not good enough. God's standard is perfection. You must be perfect. God is just. How can he possibly just overlook those 
evil deeds and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't think that that's going to be good enough. Don't deceive yourselves. If that's your plan on the last day, repent while you still can. I beg you, God destroys those who speak lies. He abhors bloodthirsty men. That includes anyone who even thinks they hate their brother in their heart at any time, any moment. Where is there going to be to run on Judgment Day when God knows all things, sees all things, has a record of all things? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot find him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? There's nowhere to run. God's there. Go to heaven. He's there. Go to hell. He's there. Go to the uttermost part of the sea, in the depths of the sea. He's there. It's terrifying. And it's better to get right now with God while he offers a way of escape. For anyone who relies on his own doing, his own efforts to gain life, this doctrine of omnipresence is nothing but bad news. It's a bad nightmare that never ends. God is present for what? For judgment, to give you what you deserve, to do justice for breaking his law. This cannot be a comfort to anyone unless we give up any hope of life from ourselves. Give up any thought of your own righteousness. Give up any thought of impressing God with your own good deeds. Give up on your own charity and look to Christ. Look to Christ's charity. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To him who works, his wages are not counted as grace, but as what he's deserved. They're counted as wages. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Romans 4, 4 to 5. The only way up to heaven is by the one who came down from heaven. It's the only way. And Christ, in his grace, came. And he accomplished the law for us. And he died the death we all deserve to die. So that he fully satisfied all the requirements of God's law. And all that's left for you to do is believe in him. Receive that gift of eternal life in Christ. We don't receive a partial Savior. We get all of Christ, the whole Christ, in all of his goodness. You believe in him. You're joined to him by the Holy Spirit. He is sufficient for all things. There's nothing you lack. In him, the whole fullness of God, that omnipresent God, dwells bodily. He was a lamb without stain or spot. Out of his heart came no evil thoughts. 
No adultery, no lust, no fornication, no murder. There's only love. He was the man for us, the man we were supposed to be, the man Adam failed to be. The one all of us failed to be. He did all of it as God, and he did it as man to accomplish it in our place. He got 100% on the test. He didn't get a 50%. He didn't even get a 99. It was 100. Perfect. He died that death to sin once for all. And the life that he lived, he lived to God once for all. So Paul could write in Romans 5, As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many became sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Paul is clear, it's not by your own obedience you're going to be declared righteous. It's by that one man's obedience, that one Christ. It's only by him. Our finest works are tainted with sin. And there is no real evangelical obedience without evangelical motivation. We do what we do. We do good works, not in order to gain God's favor, but because God has given us his favor. He's granted it to us as a gift in Christ. Now that's a greater motivation than any kind of legal righteousness, striving to attain God's standards. We see God's heart in the gospel, that he's gracious. He gave us a law. We failed to keep it. He kept it for us. So Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Find peace in this Christ. You don't believe in Christ and you're put on probation. We'll see if you behave. We'll give you a little bit of freedom. If you mess it up, you're going back to the big house. That's not how it is. You're free in Christ. Believe. It's a gift. A good father doesn't take a gift back. You just open your hands, take it, believe. And come to know that great comfort in that saying of God, I will be with you wherever you go. Come to the cross, see Christ freely offered for you. Know that courage that comes knowing that the same Christ who conquered sin and death in the grave on your behalf has also said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Find strength in Christ to do those things you think you could never do. We think of these great saints in the Bible, Moses, the lawgiver, the leader of Israel. Look what he said in Exodus 3.11. Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? What does God say? I will be with you. When Moses said, I can't speak well, God said, I will be with your mouth. 
Before Joshua went in to take the promised land, God met him and said, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. When God called Gideon, he was hiding his wheat in a wine press from the Midianites so that they wouldn't come and steal it. God comes and says to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Never mind the mighty man of valor was hiding in a wine press from his enemies at the time, but he would go on to win great victories. It's not about you, it's not about your courage, it's not about your great skill, your speech, your craft, your cunning. It's about who God is. The only thing that's going to matter in the end is whether God is with you or not. Believe in Christ. Taste this gospel. Taste the goodness of God. Taste this amazing grace of Christ. And nothing can separate you from him if you believe, you genuinely believe in Christ. That genuine faith will work out in love. It will not fail to do so. God has made a way for his presence to work for you, to give you all that you need in all times and all places forever, to do according to all of his perfect purposes. So rest in this omnipresent God who will be with you forever through Christ. He will be with you in pain, in sorrow, in death, in suffering, in life, in health. When you sit there in the hospital and you listen to that EKG, that haunting beep, on that screen, in cancer, in surgery, in widowhood, in sickness, in life, in health, under a corrupt government, in famine, feasting, in celebration, God's presence to bless will soften every sorrow and brighten every joy. Receive Christ and all of his blessings of his ever-present deity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you that um, you made a way, you opened up a way when there was no way to come back to you, rather for you to reach out to us when we were helpless to come to you on our own. You worked a great salvation for us by your great might. Though we offended you, though we broke your law, we had turned away from you, Yet you gave Christ for us. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Father, I pray that more and more would receive what Christ has done. More and more would see the good heart of a good Father in all that you've done. And receive it to the praise of your glorious grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.